So from birth to the grave, our human nature yearns to be loved. And our, our great God is love. So he passed it on to us. And that makes him quite the lover and such a generous giver. Wow, he gives us so much. Everything that we have is by the grace of God. And then he gives his whole heart out to us constantly. Everything he does for us flows out of this lavish and extremely, extremely extravagant love that he has for us. And, and it's, that's his only motive. Love, you know, is, is the vehicle by which we have been saved and set free. Not only from all the works of the, of the enemy, but from our own failures and our, and our issues, the things that, that have happened in our lives. He's even saved us from ourselves. It's the vehicle by which God saves our future from our past. No matter how sordid it was, no matter how horrible it was, disgusting, shameful, no matter what we did or what was done to us, we've been set free. And not only does he save us, but he blesses us by clean, cleaning us up, giving us his justification, just as if we never sinned. Giving us his sanctification, making us a holy thing, a, a, a vessel of honor. Giving us redemption, paying our debts, raising up our spiritual credit score. It's all good, yeah. But he doesn't stop there. We get recompense, we get restoration. I wanna share this, this verse with you in Isaiah that's so precious, Isaiah 61. Verse number seven, says, if I can find it, I had it earlier. 61 verse number seven says, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, in this land where you set your feet, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be yours, because God is, is a good, good father. He's so generous to us. See, God's love alone sets us free from every captivity. He gives us a one rule condition, love back. Love him back, and by loving him, we're gonna love ourselves and love other people well. It's kind of a, a seed time and harvest rule that applies. So when we receive Christ, God plants the seed of his love within us. Then our heart begins to produce love, and it overflows with love for God. And that love begins to yield and produce relationship and fellowship with God, which begins to produce love and value for ourselves and who God made us to be. Then we begin to see and love the vision of who we are becoming and who God made us to be, who we are to God. And that love begins to develop an ability to love others rightly, with compassion and empathy with care and respect and regard and honor for the love of God. Glory to God. That's the love that's gonna make you wanna come out next month to get this evangelistic spirit on you so you could reach one, 
set somebody else free. Amen? 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 Amen. Just wondering if you're still there. But love is extremely, extremely important to God because he is God. And he loves us so much and so well, so well. We get to carry his name, Christian. We are his children, his people. And that before we're anything else. Before you're black or white, Chinese, Hispanic, uh, teacher, preacher, CEO, president of the college, all of that, before that, woman or man, mother or father, you are his own. That's because when we receive Christ, we said out loud, God, I'm yours. Kind of like a wedding vow. You don't even belong to yourself. And this love, which is God, has been given to us to be seen in us, in our words, in our actions, in our attitudes, our behavior, in our obedience to God, in loving and, and giving and relating to others. Whether it's phileo love, storge love, eros or agape, love is God's gift to us. But the problem we all face is that we, we wrestle with this concept of God's love because, because of what love has been made to look like sometimes. You know, not real, uh, fairy tale. You know how they do it in the movies, bait and switch. And we got broken hearts, hurt feelings, bruises. Some have had black eyes, I don't mean black eyed peas, because of love, counterfeits. And as a result, we got some suspicions. Love, what you talking about Willis? You know, our history of bad experiences kind of infiltrates our hearts and limits our love capacity. And we cling to what had happened way too well. So some of us have become afraid to love and afraid of love. Oh, wow. You know, as a, as a, as a, as a result of that, a real point of reference for how to love kind of went missing. Yo no sa. I don't know what it's all about. Those negative experiences and suspect relationships, even our own reasoning and reactions and recollections, all those things contribute to our misconceptions of love and our inability to love. And until we choose to receive the perfect love of God, my goodness, we can't even love ourselves, people. Nor can we love anybody else without the obsessions or imposing conditions or reducing love to, hey, what's in it for me? What you got for me? You know, I like shopping. I met a woman who's a minister and she told me that she met her husband at just the right time, because she had maxed out all her credit cards. <laughs> I was like, uh, well, uh, OK. 
okay. I'm going to try that. <laughs> Make sure his credit cards are paid off. Okay, just kidding. So when we know this, this God's love, his love kind of gets in your eyes. You begin to see differently. You know, his love moves us and compels us to see what love really is and what love really isn't. We get exposed to love's great intentions. Wow. What love is supposed to be like that's without a perversity. This love that's a wholeness and a satisfaction and, and a selflessness and an ever-increasing perception of its beauty. Isaiah 55 tells us this. My ways are not like your ways. My ways are not like your ways. Hmm. Nor are my thoughts like your thoughts. So that, that would mean like his love is not like our love. For as the heavens are, as, are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So that's why God wants to pour his love on us so that we get to see what it's all about for real. Glory to God. That's why we need relationship with God. We have to connect with him because he will teach us all things. He'll give us the Christ mind so that we can perceive really what it's all about. Don't you wanna love like Jesus? With compassion and with your heart? Don't you wanna love selflessly? Employing self-control without that what's in it for me mindset. See, his love is gonna make you better. His love is gonna make you relevant. His love is gonna make you bear fruit and have a stability. And by his love, we're gonna become safe in our relationships. We're gonna become trustworthy because we're gonna become like Jesus. 11 things that require zero talent. I just thought I'd throw this in like as, as a sidebar. But they are really side effects of, of love in your room being on time. Being on time. Being on time for church. Snap. Okay, I'll get the other points. All right. They didn't like that. It went over like, Psh. Okay. How about a work ethic? How about honesty? How, how about always making a good effort? How about having energy to do stuff? Your body language, passion, going the extra mile, being prepared, being teachable, having the right attitude. You know, these are really fruit of the fruit of the spirit. They're fruits of the fruit of the spirit that we could all, y'all are so quiet, but I know you're just listening. Amen. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna be cleverer now. All right, <laughs> I want you to look at, uh, if you have your swords, Luke chapter 10. It's a, it's a very familiar, popular story about the, about the Good Samaritan. And the story kind of epitomizes God's unconditional love. It starts at verse number 25, which I'm going to read to you. 
And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, Jesus, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, what is the written law? What is your reading of it? So he answered, the lawyer answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Verse number 29 says, but he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, himself, said to Jesus, well, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus was good at sidebarring. So he went down to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Half dead, interesting point right there. Verse number 31 says, now by chance a certain priest, a pastor, a pastor came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, crossed the street. Likewise, a Levite, probably a member of that same church, went, <laughs> went by. Also, we arrived at the place and he said, and he went across the street too. He crossed over to the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. Interesting. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves. And the lawyer said, he, he who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now that's interesting. This story makes, a great, makes great sense when you put it in context with the original question the lawyer asked. Who's my neighbor? What's also interesting is that the, when the lawyer sidebarred, you know, like a debate, it seems like he was just wanting to bail from our basic human responsibility to honor and regard and respect and consider other people. These are all facets of love. Now, you gotta remember this. Whenever you give people the truth and they just don't wanna respond to it, they're gonna always seek an out clause. Oh, you know, I got, a, I got some food on the stove right now. I got to run home. They don't want to deal with that. Just look, my little sidebar. Uh, so now Jesus didn't direct answer him, but Jesus tells his story to challenge this guy to help him and his definition or concept of his neighborhood. What was really his neighborhood? Or perhaps just confront what he was accustomed to doing all the time maybe even shed some light on his ways of understanding, also known as his preferences. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Preferences, you know, those things that kind of are in conflict with God's principles. Just a thought. Anybody remember that? 
two people. Okay, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So let's consider the generosity of the Samaritan, which is so extremely compelling. You see, this guy, the Samaritan, footed the bill, the entire bill, for somebody he didn't even know. He gave all that was needed and then some. What a commitment it is to love. Verse number 30 says that the man was left half dead. I just, I just wonder how long had he been lying there, bleeding out, feeling maybe a little feverish, his pulse weakening, hurting, not fully conscious, without much hope left. He's in a quandary. You know, I think some of us have been there, maybe not physically or specifically to, to being robbed and beaten up, but emotionally or spiritually, crying out of our soul, depressed, in crises, weak, vulnerable, burdened, feeling forsaken, maybe even ashamed, not knowing who you can safely talk to that won't judge you or look down on you. But that verse says that he was half dead. When you think about it, he was half alive. See, we can tell the devil and hell no when we're in such dire straits. You can tell the devil, I'm half alive. I got a God who's gonna make me fully alive in the name of Jesus. We can cry out to our God who will hear us and bless us and show up because he loves us so much. Verse number 31 says that the minister and the fellow believer pass him by. In fact, they cross the street. They don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to get involved. Oh no, I might get defiled, I can't do that. They don't want to get involved. And the thing is, they were Jewish. They were of the same tribe as this victim on the ground. But they didn't want to, they didn't want to get involved in all of that. Verse number 33 says that the, the, that the Samaritan showed up. Now the interesting thing about the Samaritans, they were despised and rejected and disrespected by the Jews. Totally avoided. It's, that's amazing. They had no dealings. The Jewish people had no dealings with the Samaritans. In fact, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 48, it says that the Jews called Jesus a Samaritan and a devil. That's like saying the N-word today. How rude is that? Holy God, holy God. But the, the, the Samaritan showed up. Pages stick together. That's okay, I'm going on anyway. So now this Samaritan, wow. He was so like Jesus. He went to him. John 14, verse number 18, Jesus says this, I will not abandon you or leave you in the, in the storm. I will come to you. The Samaritan came to him. He humbled himself. He displayed his heart of love and compassion. 
You know, Jesus' love speaks to us in that verse because he knows how we feel in our humanness. He even cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, why? God, why? You're forsaking me. We felt that before. But God has compassion on us. His love comforts us even in our deepest emotional moments. So verse 33 is so compelling. The Samaritan went to him, bandaged his wound, his wounds, poured oil and wine, representing the Holy Spirit and redemption's joy, and set him on his own animal. Set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn and took care of him. Just like Jesus coming down from heaven, seeing fallen man, devastated by sin, broken, scarred, torn, toe up from the flow up. But he came where we are. He traded places with us so that we could be healed, we could be redeemed, we could be reconciled back to God in right relationship because of love. Whew, glory to God. Thank you, Lord, I'm getting excited. You know, there's so much revelation in this story. But the major and most significant point is this guy's display of God's love. Love, agape, that's unconditional. Love that's beautiful, completing what's missing in our emotion and in our lives, unfailing love, unchanging love, unconquerable love supernatural love, brave and courageous. This love is a covenant love, covenant. This love is consistently God. God wants to love us and he also wants to love like that through us. We need to grasp hold of it. See, he chose us to be love's light in this world in this present darkness. We need to be so filled full of it desperately. So we are, all, we are loved beyond human comprehension. My goodness, how, how he does it. I ask God all the time, how do you do this? Knowing how we are, what we do, what we don't do. But we're loved by a God who, who looks way past all of our flaws, all of our faults, all of our failures, all of our jacked upnesses. And he sees us as perfect as Jesus. Whew. That should make us fall down prostrate before him every day. And I want you to look at something else before we close. We all know 1 Corinthians 13, right? It says in 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or, chain, or a clanging cymbal. Verse number two says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now this, this chapter, the love chapter, is set between two other chapters, 12 and 14, which are the teachings on the gifts. So now if you look for a second 
at Exodus, let's see, Exodus 39, talking about the, the priest's garments in verses, I think, uh, 24, 26, where are we here? They made on the hem of the robe pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet, and of fine woven linen. And they made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe all around between the pomegranates. A bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe to minister in as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now what, the point I want to bring to you is that it's important to know that love tempers the giftings. You know, the gifts, you know, everybody wants the gifts, the prophetic, the, the healing, the man, we're, we're, ooh, ah, when the, when the prophet comes, and so, so excited about the gifts. But we need love to temper the gifts. That's what God is saying to us. We gotta have love. See, he doesn't want us to have more gifts than we have grace and love for other people. He doesn't want us to have more signs and wonders than we have a display of the fruit. He doesn't want us to have more prophecies than we have compassion. We have to have the presence of the fruit with the giftings. You see, between the sound of the gifts must be the fragrance of the fruit because real fruit balances us out. God's DNA shows up in our fruit. We actually prove that we belong to God. We, we belong to God because of his spirit in our fruit. He's seen in our fruit, people. So if we, listen, if we make every decision of our love, I'm sorry, based on our love for God and our love for other people, we're always gonna be in the center of God's will. God will always be on display. No matter how gifted and talented you are, no matter how, what position you hold, but when we make our decisions based on the love of God, things are gonna fall in line. Remember, love is something that we do. It's not just a feeling. And when we love, check this out, when we do love as God loves, when we love with his love, we begin to tangibly feel the supernatural, the great and profound, deep and lavish intentionality of God's love. Love that, that flows out towards our enemies because you know they need God. Love that, that flows out to a spouse who maybe failed or who maybe was unfaithful or you know that in sickness and in health clause? The spouse that left, left you with the kids, but you can still love. The love that, that pours out, flows out to friends that weren't so friends, who betrayed you, talked about you, gossip behind your back. Love that flows out to, to family and those rebellious children who take and only give grief but we still love. The love that flows out to leaders and church folk who, who sometimes act worse than the world. 
real love that flows out even to yourself because sometimes we gotta learn how to love and value and forgive ourselves. That's love. And the only way we can love like Jesus is to receive his love. We gotta receive it so we can love. You know, when we desire him, when we desire him, God begins to, to woo us out of every constriction and confinement, everything that would hold us back, every distraction that would keep us from him, everything that would keep us from being touched by his amazing love. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love and by my loving kindness I'm drawing you, I'm drawing you to myself. So he just wants to love on us. You know, to love all of that toxicity out of our system, out of our soul. Taking all the shards of pain and grief and perversity and not like him away from us. See, and that kind of love should motivate us daily to live in a way that will glorify God and raise the value of God in other people's minds. Anybody? You know, not just on the church campus, not a couple times a week, but as a lifestyle and a praise to God. That means we live and respond to a revelation of the depth of God's love for you personally, individually. You know, God so loved the world, but that includes you personally. Not just in general, but specifically for your need and where you are. And that revelation is gonna cause you to love him, to love him, and to love him, and to love him, and to love who he's called you to be. Because you know why? You're gonna be in love, in his love. Is that powerful? So let's make a demand on the promise that God gave us in the very beginning of this year. Remember, he said that he would, res he would respond to our heart of thanksgiving. So if we make a demand on God's promise with the fullness of his supply, we're gonna start thanking him for loving us so much, then he's gonna start showing up so much more and more, and there's the, the more we, the more he shows up, the more love is gonna be imputed to us, the more of his grace, the more of his mentality, the more of his, his mindset, the more of his ways, and we're gonna end up looking like Jesus. We're gonna end up looking like Jesus, smelling like the fragrance of the knowledge of God. That's something we should all want, don't we? So today I pray, Lord, let us be sealed in you and your love that we may be healed by you every day and in every way in Jesus' name. And the people said, amen. amen.